Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Welcome to the Bomb Radio Book Show with me, Mike Gale. Oh, and me, Blake Woodham. Sorry, I'm having a slight panic with the, with the microphone labels there, so apologies if any of you had a blast in the ears that moment. That's, it's not what bookish people want, is it? They, they like things quiet, like a library. Okay, uh, sorry. You can't read and listen to us at the same time. It's not allowed. Well, can you? No. Please remember you can tweet us. Uh, this is an interactive show. We like to hear from you. Um, you can tweet us at, at brumradio underscore books, and you can email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. Um, tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you'd like to hear more of, or what you'd like to hear less of. But hopefully, what are you enjoying, really? Yeah, hopefully, you might, might like to hear less of a loud bang when you <laughs> uh, We've got a great show, though, we have today. Yes, indeed. We've got the book of the month this month is The Adulterance by Joe Dunthorne. Um, Blake's just waving it up there. Let's have a look at the cover. It's a great cover, actually. Is it that, that some sort of uh, dead bird there it's, and some it's, holes? Well, it, we ex- it explains later on it's a cuckoo. Oh, right, OK. Um, the thing about a cuckoo is they are the adulter- adultery birds because they lay their eggs in other birds' nests. Oh, right. Is this, a, just, is this a metaphor? It is a metaphor. Which is, ah. you know, have you ever read I've the, heard of those. the midwitch cuckoos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it's the same kind of premise, but um, uh, it's a fantastic book. And we've got an interview with the writer as well. So, yeah, that, that's absolutely brilliant. And of course, we've got the um, our regular blog spot feature, which is becoming less of a blog spot feature and becoming more of a people chatting about stuff. But that's fine. I think uh, recommendations. Maybe we should yes, yeah, it, yeah. change it to that. But yeah, that's it. Right, um, and that's going to be Matt Killing. Uh, he's the author. He's also the author of our, our debut book this month, um, Orphan Monster Spy. Fantastic um, book, and what is uh, interesting about the recommendations that he's got for us is he's focusing on the kind of um, books, perhaps for socially conscious young people. Um, so we have, you know, books perhaps are about you know p- politics and about things that maybe weren't an issue when we were kids. I remember because I think the thing about school books as well, books you read at school. I don't know about your experiences, but mine was that. They were really old, you know. There've been books that have been in that school for ten, oh, 15, yes, 20 yeah, years. no, absolutely. So politically, they were all quite. So I remember, you know, vivid memories of, of just incredibly insensitive racial uh, profiling going on in the school books I read when I was a kid, including you know words that we don't use now. Just being in, in primary school children's books. I think it's really, really important that these books are coming out now. That uh, for the next twenty years, well, in twenty years' time, maybe mm. these kids can get to read them. Uh, and, of course, we also have our um, regular debut reviewer, Catherine O'Flynn, in the studio. Hello, Catherine. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. You've braved the beast from the east. I have, and I'm not a brave person. <laughs> you know, There's no excuses. Oh, was that a little dig at Stuart there? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm afraid Stuart, uh, the, the, the man from Waterstones, isn't here this week, uh, this month. Um, he has I, been busy, though. Has been busy. He's been running the Verve Festival at uh, at Birmingham this last couple of weeks. Oh right, okay. um, Which is now finished and was a big hit. I've heard 
good things about it. It was good. It was really good fun. But we do also have our producer in the studio, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Uh, Andrew does not have a microphone, so he'll be bellowing <laughs> yeah. in the background. But Mike, Andrew is also going to be uh, our tweet responder, our first responder on tweets. Um, so if you do have any questions or any comments, if you tweet us at, um, what did we say it was again? At, at Radio underscore books and email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. Right, so, Blake, how's your... How's your oh. Blake, how's your uh, month been? Uh, my month has been great. Um, I went to the, um, as I said, went to the Verve Festival. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, who's, Festival. Your, who's your favourite poet that you saw there? Oh, I don't remember any names. Poets? I'm not sure poetry is... Uh, it's not about egos. Uh, right, OK. Um, <laughs> it's about vibes. <laughs> I know there was an amazing there was a performance that really sort of um, uh, kind of uh, sweeping me up and there was an incredible poet there who was talking about you know some awful um, events that happened to him where he'd been shot uh, and he was writing his poem about it, but he'd actually been shot in like the throat, and his in a way he you know and so it affected his voice. So so his actual performance of it was incredibly um, uh, incredibly kind of powerful because you know you could hear every kind of you know, the pain coming through and all that. So I'm getting lots of looks in the studio of like why are you talking about these depressing things? So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. What have you been doing? Um, well, because it's been a while, um, I've, I've actually done some stuff. Normally, I, I it feels like I, I've done nothing at all, but. Um, Jan, I, I went to the Costas, um, so that was quite nice. Uh, and did you get um, a latte? Boom, boom, Sorry, um, did you get a nice goodie bag. I did get a goodie bag. Um, and I, I got the, I was given the winner of the Children's Award. I can't remember who that was, but that was a cracking book. My daughter, um, my youngest daughter, Ruby, um, just zipped through that and absolutely loved it. And she gave it a thumbs up. The um, course uh, Inside the Wave by Helen Dunmore. Um, won the overall prize uh, and a, a lot of people were, were very pleased about that obviously because uh, um, Helen passed away I think last late last year um, of course there was a lot of enthusiasm for uh, Eleanor, Eleanor Oliphant as well um, which won the first Nobel Prize and um, seems to be doing Great guns in the uh, in the in the that's charts right. Gail, in a minute. Gail Honeyman. That's the one, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have it at home. I have not read it yet. But. I've read it, and it's very good, very good indeed. And um, I've also, um, and I'll, I'll talk to you uh, about this, Catherine. Uh, I've just had a new author photo done. Oh wow! Um, well, <laughs> this is the, this is the couple of stories. Uh, so I remember bumping into an author. Uh, uh, I was a, a massive fan of and I was introduced to him and I, I've got uh, I don't want to say I, I'm on some sort of scale but <laughs> I just looked at him and the first words out of my mouth were you're a lot older than uh, I imagined you were and of course it hadn't realised it hadn't dawned on me that obviously I'd be looking at I'd been thinking about his author photo and you know he's he's got a grey beard now and he was a young man there and he hadn't changed it for a very long time and uh, he did sort of forgive me although he sort of raised his eyebrows a little bit and I felt a bit weird but um yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so mine's been uh, nearly 10 years wow um 
But you look younger now than you did ten years ago. Uh, I'm not so sure. I think the, the grey and the beard uh, would say different. But it's um, funny. I've just read a book called The Death of Mr M uh, by a Dutch writer called Herman Koch, which is about uh, a kind of aging novelist who prides himself on always having a different photo for each book because that proves he's not vain. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm glad to hear that, it, that it's a real a real crisis. So how was yours? Where, where did you get yours done? Actually, weirdly, about 20 metres from where we are now. Uh, the photographer wanted to take a photo of me with sort of Birmingham skyline in the back, and it's years old, and I look really, really cold and miserable. <laughs> Always used because I can't face having any more taken. Oh, wow, this, this is it. It felt like a really weird thing. I, you know, I don't look like my old ones anymore. I don't think so anyway. I've sort of moved on. I've got different classes on. But it was, it was a strange, strange thing. And uh, so we got lots of shots of me um, in the garden, um, some of me outside against brickwork, you know, giving a bit of an urban vibe against grills outside of uh, shop fronts, um, but also the, the kind of classic shot from uh, outside a cafe. So it's there's like a shadow and a little bit of... And it's almost like I'm there with my coffee thinking. That's it, yeah. yeah. People can make pilgrimages to that. Well, to that yeah. place. I remember when Ray Davis um, released a solo album and, he, and the photograph was taken in a cafe a, a few doors down from where I lived at the time. And as a result of that, I would always go in there for my tea just to kind of get some of the stardust. Oh. I, I, have, I mean, I could see the whole show on bad photograph experience I've had as a writer, but one of my favourite ones was when you have like local news photographers who want to take a photo oh. of you sitting in front of your computer yeah. with the title of the novel on the screen. <laughs> Like you're just at the moment of inception and they've caught you. Like there's literally, you cannot be too literal <laughs> with local no, newspapers. It's yeah. just, so you know. You're not using it with a pen. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Also, yeah. once when I was eight months pregnant, a photographer told me to use my book. He said, Can't you use the book to hide your lump? <laughs> 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 So, um, we're going to be, sorry, I'm getting gestures from my, I'm not quite sure what to use Sorry. It's all right. I was just talking about the, you know, the, the next section. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> right, okay. That yeah. was a brilliant uh, piece of professional <laughs> segue there. Um, sorry about that. Everybody. So, I'm still ready to do it now. Okay, and normally that would uh, herald the uh, the arrival of Stuart into the studio, but uh, he's not here, and Hello, so everyone. Uh, <laughs> that was Catherine pretending. So uh, instead, we're going to have um, we're all going to be sharing sharing out Stuart's duties. So tell us what's going on in the West Midlands and beyond. Uh, do you want to go first, Blake, or shall I? Uh, well, I was, one of the things this is a, a global thing I wanted to talk about was, was World Book Day. Oh, yeah, um, and, and rather confusingly, um, I, I had kind of conflated it with World Book Night, which you know, I can understand, I think, why people may uh, get them muddled up. But then I, did, I didn't realise that they were two different they things. They are two different okay. things. So there's the, one takes place on the 1st of March, um, and that is World Book Day. Uh, but World Book Night is on the 23rd of April. Oh, um, but the big difference is that World Book uh, Day is is the children's event, whereas uh, right, okay. is the, the adult event. So World Book Day is coming up on the 1st, um, and that is when all of the kids will dress up as their favourite character out oh, of the yes. water. Oh, yes. <laughs> looking forward 
to that day. Mum, 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 I need, I need a Harry Potter costume by, you know, by tomorrow morning. Well, I always say to my girls, like, you know, Charlie out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, i.e. a child. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something like that. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of books available um, for, for £1 for kids. Um, and a lot of your kids, if you have them at school, will be getting a voucher in order to pay for those. Um, relating to this also coming up is the Bourneville Book Festival. Oh, right. Okay, the, yeah. The 15th to 25th of March. There's loads of amazing stuff there, loads of great writers, loads of illustrators performing. There's something really interesting. I mean, it's like a, someone, someone's got something called a story skirt. It's like a massive, massive flowing dress with stories in it, which looks quite exciting to me. And we're hoping to get involved, so we're going to get some interviews <laughs> and do some stuff there at the, uh, the Bourneville Book Festival. It's 15th to 25th of March. What What's else? yours, Catherine? So, also to say that booking is now open for Arvin's writing courses and retreats for this year, which I know, I think you've done, you've been involved with them, haven't you? Yes, and I'm doing one in August as well, actually. Oh, I'm that's doing writing, writing romantic fiction. Oh, that's lovely. Well, they in August. Got all, they, they, their courses cover all the genres and um, celebrate their 50th birthday. They're introducing a new three day residential um, type of course, and tutors include Inua Elliott. Joe Shapcott, Mark Haddon, Karen McCarthy Wolf, Joel Taylor, David Quantic, lots of people. Um, and Sounds grants fantastic. are available to help with course fees. I've just remembered uh, one of the poets that I enjoyed at the Bert Festival, Karen McCarthy Wolf. Oh, there good. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, and what else? Also, there's something Writers HQ are running a Birmingham Writers Retreat. This is on Sunday, the 4th of March at the Alpha Works, Suffolk Street, Queensway. And now, it sounds, I don't know whether this sounds like a vision of heaven or hell it says spend the day with a bunch of writers limitless caffeine and no internet <laughs> talk about, talk about your success I the answer to that question <laughs> and then you write and write and write a scoreboard gold stars general silliness and supportive competitiveness will help you break out of your bad habits no distractions no excuses just 35 quid for the day Sounds fantastic. Where do, where do we sign up? <laughs> um, Birmingham Literature Festival, um, the spring programme is going live to the public on the 6th of March. Be sure to keep an eye out on the website and Twitter and Facebook for uh, live releases and the lineup. We're actually going to be part of that this year. We're, we're hosting one of the events uh, the 29th of March at Waterstones. Okay, you're going to tell us who that is with? That is the launch for Kit Wall's new novel, oh, Trick yeah. of Time. Oh, fantastic. And um, I suppose well, we could do a poetry one. Um, in honour of Stuart. In honour of Stuart. Uh, Poem to Remember is a, nas- a new national poetry competition which is just open for submissions. It marks the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War and the overall winner will receive £2,000 and four of the runner-ups will receive They still haven't decided each. on the overall winner of the First World War. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Bad joke. Down. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> But, um, yeah, um, I mean, interesting thing, just going back to World Book Day uh, and, and World Book Night, is um, a friend of mine, an author, has, has actually is, is quite against World Book Night because um, she feels that um, World Book Night is the one where they give away books, isn't it? Yeah. And she feels that it devalues books by giving them away free. Uh, in in the same way that, and her argument is, you know, you wouldn't do it to music, and we're under we're undermining ourselves by saying to people that you know we have to give these things away free in order to um, get people to encourage. It. And I think has she got a point? 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, certainly um, there is a generalised expectation amongst, you know, the, the people today that uh, all content, in inverted commas, oh, should yes. be free. And so, um, but I mean, I don't know. I think, I'm not sure it's received that way by people. I don't, th- I don't think people getting a free copy of the book thing. I mean, it's so. not given away to everybody, is it? It's given away in kind of certain places, I think, yeah. like job centres and schools. I and think certain... it feels a bit more festive, doesn't it? It's like a gift, you know, yeah. rather than a kind of, here you go, books will always be free. It's, mm. It feels like, yeah. But that's a really interesting point, which I yeah. certainly hadn't considered, and I think it is a, uh, it's a good one. Um, okay, well, we'll retract our. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but do but, you know, get a free book, enjoy it, and, uh, and then read it. I think the thing is, it, it, I mean, for me, it, it's more. You know, I was buying a, I was out with some mates, and I was just thinking, for the price of a pint now, you can get a book. Yeah. And it just seems a little bit wrong that we live in a world where people are like. I'm in an hiring and all. I'm not, you know, I'll only buy it if it's 99p download. Yeah. yeah. You know, you just think, hold on, that, that's a year of someone's life there. Yeah. And yeah. all they're asking is for is £3 in paperback. That just seems. Yeah, I think I think it can completely drive you mad when you start thinking that. I remember once being completely overwhelmed <clears throat> in Hay, which obviously is, you know, this amazing place for books, but just the sheer volume of all those second-hand books oh, going. Yes, course, and you just yes, suddenly yes. thought, oh, my God, all these dead people and all these books that no-one is ever going to read. Now, it can be get, get slightly depressing if you start equating the sort of price value with the, <laughs> the effort involved. Yes, yes, of course, yeah. We'll right. <laughs> get us all angry and Well, if it was ranting, to do with the effort, Involved, yeah. books would cost like five hundred pounds each. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and we're glad that they're not. Um, but, uh, yeah, very good point. Uh, we need to turn to our um, book of the month. Yes. So the book of the month, uh, as we said before, is the Adulterants by um, Joe Dunthorne. I don't know a huge amount about Joe Dunthorne apart from the fact that um, he wrote the submarine, didn't he? He wrote yeah. the novel, uh, which was uh, turned into a film, mm-hmm. which had the soundtrack that was done by uh, what's his name from that band. Yeah, uh, the Arctic Monkeys. What's his name? Alex. Something. Alex Turner. Turner. That's the one. Yeah. Yes, that's right. yep, brilliant yep. soundtrack, brilliant film, um, yeah. brilliant book. And I'm guessing he's going to be talking uh, about all sorts of things. So, how was the book for you? Was it? I, what's the book about? So? I loved it. Well, well, let's get an introduction from um, Joe Dunthorne on what the book's about. Um, one of the things I will have to apologise for um, what is some elements of the sound quality of the recording uh, of this was not as, as as high as we would normally like. But you can hear what he's saying, so, you know, what more do you want, guys? This is Joe Donthorne explaining a little bit about The Adulterance. The Adulterance is what I've been calling a coming-of-age novel about a 33-year-old, and um, it's narrated by a character called Ray Morris, who is a tech journalist... And he is married to Garthine, who is pregnant with his child. And he's a character who, certainly at the start of the novel, is someone who's never really had anything bad happen to him. He's never had any large life traumas. And a small part of him hopes that he will. He somehow feels incomplete, um, having never had anything bad happen to him. Well, lucky for him, many bad things are about to happen to him. So that was... um Joe Dunthorne uh, talking about his uh, new novel The Adulterance so Blake what was your take I thought it was absolutely fantastic um, one of the most enjoyable books I've read and, um, enjoyable you know you can you can appreciate a book you can um, you know recognise the quality of a book but not necessarily enjoy it and I find this book incredibly enjoyable as well as interesting and um, thought provoking it's it's about 
a generation you know, younger than myself, these millennials, these people perhaps in their early 30s, who are kind of frozen in life. They're not really able to grow up properly um, because of circumstances beyond their control. And crucially, they've all, they're not having the lives that they perhaps would have expected. You know, they're over-educated maybe. You know, they can't get on the housing ladder. Uh, they don't have the lives their parents had. They don't have the lives they thought they were going to have. So they have to kind of find another way. They're, they're all middle class. They can't kind of rebel in the same way. So what they do find is these, you know, these kind of agonising uh, cynicism is the way of, of, of just being very knowing about everything and um, for people like us, I think it's great to read them. So this is a snowflake novel then, is it? It's, it's, it's what, what you have in this, in this narrator, um, Ray is, you know is that brutal honesty um, but He's, he's incredibly knowing about everything. So he's, he understands his motivations and why it's, he's a cliché yeah. and why he's a stereotype. But he's still unable to stop being one. Yeah. And that's what's so painful. He's, he's aware that what he's doing is cliché. He's aware that... Every, at one point, he has to go to the police station and he's revelling in the fact that he, can, he goes, I'm going down the cop shop and he can use these new words. Um, but he's aware that he's revelling in it the whole time. It's just this... this, this, this he's knowing about his knowingness, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that doesn't actually help him. Ah, double irony. So um, we've, we've got another part of the interview coming up and... Um uh, and here's Joe Dunthorne, the second part of his uh, interview, talking about the adulterants. The title of the book is particularly inspired. It sums up so many of the themes in it in, in, a, in a sort of single word. Whereabouts did that come? Did the title come before anything else, or when did it come into the process? In this case, and this isn't always the case, but in this case it came really early. And when I wrote what is now the first chapter, which is the first thing I wrote, that title was already there. And that was, at that time I thought it was a short story. And yeah, like you say, it just seemed to strike a balance between the themes and also having a nice punning quality on other words, adultery obviously, and the idea of an adulterant sounding almost like a kind of half-adult. So it just felt it just felt great. And then I guess, I guess writing the book, I was always happy to have the title in my mind so that I could keep kind of feeding off it. And it, it sort of also sums up the way the book works as well in that it is, you know, it, the pun there is, it's incredibly funny, this book, but it is also pretty painful it must be quite a hard tightrope to walk between those two things or is it it is and i think you have to i always try to think about the reader you're in a kind of tug of war with them and and you can be funny then there's an expectation that you need to be doing something else as well and i want to do that so then maybe you take them to somewhere quite dark but then how long can you be in the dark place before you have to relieve it with something a bit lighter so there's always this kind of relationship of moving the reader one way but not going trying to go too far and bring them back it's almost like carrot and stick I'm conscious of, of trying to keep the reader on side but also challenge them and make them uncomfortable and all these things Related to that of course Ray is, as a character it's quite hard to have sympathy for him because he's not he makes some bad choices should we say but I feel quite a strong sense of sympathy with him Yeah Is that intentional? It is It, re it really is and, but I think this is maybe specific to certain readers I tend to feel sympathetic for unsympathetic characters. There's something about someone who makes poor choices, maybe not out of a kind of being an evil person, but maybe has poor judgment or has blind spots that I find endearing. So in books that I like to read, they're often the characters I'm drawn to are often, quote, unsympathetic. So, so definitely with Ray, I'm aware that he is certainly on paper a hard-to-love person, but I love him, <laughs> and I hope readers will love him as well. 
one thing that Ray is, is he, you could say, is sincere in his cynicism. <laughs> is um, again, is it difficult to to create somebody who is 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 that cynical, but also? You know, very knowing. I suppose it is this idea of at least he's honest. Is that is that fair? That that's right. There's something for all his joking and his irony and his layers of knowingness. He can be, I hope, ruthlessly honest in a way that maybe you don't often hear. You know, part of the pleasure of writing him, and I hope the pleasure of reading him, is that he is willing to say things other people wouldn't say, um, and to kind of cut through certain parts of human relationships and, and, and just state it as he sees it. Um, so I hope it's not it's not all kind of ironic posturing. You know, he, he hopefully, whether he knows it or not, hits the nail on the head. You're listening to the Brum Radio Book Show, uh, and that was the um, second part of our interview with Joe Dunthorne, author of The Adulterants. Um, before we move on, I just wanted to talk to Blake. So, about the book. So, the character, did you warm to him? Have you? Where do you stand on that? that kind I was of... slightly. I was. I was always had a slight warm to him because he's called yeah. Ray, which is the name of my son. So, I had a sort of immediate kind of walk to him. But yeah, I mean. I was, I, it was interesting because I read a couple of reviews before I read the book about, you know, what an awful person this Ray was and what a dreadful character. Um, and as I read it, I thought, oh, I quite like him. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about exactly. you? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I can kind of relate to him quite a lot. Um, because, yeah, he, he, he makes bad choices. He does bad things. Um, but he kind of, you know, he, it's, he's honest about it. And he's, like I say, he feels like he's trapped in, his, in this circumstance. And he, he's kind of... Um, you know, he's. It feels like he's. You know, he's someone who is being swept along by the tides of socio-economic factors that have been in place for for decades. That he, you know, that he's, he's he's just kind of riding, and it feels, you know, and that's part of his flaw is that he feels like he's he's not able to control anything. But yeah, I I liked him, and I'm, uh, but it's interesting that hearing Joe Dunthorne say that in the interview is. I think it depends on the type of reader. I know yeah. a lot of people might read that. Um, my partner, you know, would read that and, and just despise this character and not be able to get past that in the book. I think. So I think it depends on the type of thing you are, and so I think maybe some people will just find him awful. And, and objectionable. Just to, as a little aside, uh, just thinking about that because I, I always, I'm always really interested in how moral readers can be. Yeah. You know, they, they like things really. Some people like things really black and white. Do you mean moral or moralistic? Or moralistic, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, no, we we like them to be moral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, have you found that with your idea? Have you found people judging characters in a way that you, you possibly wouldn't judge another somebody who was sitting next to you? Yeah, I think I think there is that. I think it is part of that desire to uh, to have all the answers, isn't it? When yeah. someone's reading a book, and I think they expect you as the writer to have moral judgments about your characters, um, which is quite odd. I mean, I remember just you saying about whether the character's likable or not, and you actually quite identifying with him. I remember with one of my novels the main character very much based him really around myself or my friends you know so when I submitted it to my agent she said god he's just so hateful though he'll be watering down a bit and, and I found it really hard to tell that it was like pretty much autobiographical so yeah it, it's, it's kind of perspective is everything isn't it really I'm always I'm always shocked because I always thought that the the idea of reading a novel is to inhabit somebody else's mind and viewpoint 
And yeah. it, I'm always shocked by, you know, I, I couldn't get on with this with this yes, character. And yeah. It's like, well, that's the whole point. Yeah. Mm. You know, you you, make, you don't have to like somebody to enjoy a piece of writing. It is, it's it's strange. But I mean, it's, it, I think there are some people that are just say, if I'm going to spend ten hours in the company of somebody, yeah. Yeah. I want it to be somebody whose opinions I'm interested in or who, you know, yeah. who I respect. Yeah. I can sort of see that line as well. I mean, I don't feel that way myself because, I, you know, I seek those people out in real life and spend yeah. the time with that. So I get, I get all my kind of, you know, gr- grim kind of misanthropes into my novels. Um, and th- there's a lot of humour in this book, isn't there? It, well, it certainly it's sounds like funny. Hysterically, um, absolutely, sort of tear, tear injectingly <laughs> funny in places. But it, uh, as you say, also tragic as well. But but does it detract from what what I, the the actual message of what he's trying to say? Uh, not at all, not at all. Because I think you know, it, and and I think uh, as you mentioned in the interview, there it's a real tightrope to be able to. Because I think if something you know, if, if you're just watching somebody's life dissolving, you know, this character of Ray, he starts off. In in a certain place, and his life goes through a series of kind of. It, it reminded me a bit of um, even in Wars Decline and Fall. I don't know if you've read that, which is also very very funny about someone just going through a series of disasters. Um, but um, I think if you didn't have that, it would just be it would just feel almost sort of cruel, and you were just watching some sort of masochistic you know thing of somebody having terrible things happen. So it really was a bit. I mean, I was wondering about you know yourself, Mike, because obviously the books that you write, um, regular listeners will know, Mike is a celebrated novelist of um, of comedy and but also you know your books deal with kind of serious um, you know relationship issues and all sorts of stuff how do you kind of do you ever do you ever kind of go right I'm going to have to wind back either the jokes or the kind of seriousness I I think like you say it's a a tightrope and I think you you use one to emphasise the other. I think, you know, comedy and tragedy is about contrasts. If you've got tragedy all the time, it ceases to be tragic. If you've got comedy all the time, it ceases to be funny. I think you, you need those things because they bring relief when they're kind of... And that's, kind of, that's kind of what life is like as well, isn't oh, it? Oh, well, very that's, much so. Yeah. yeah, that's really what... I think it's just it's so artificial when people say, oh, you know, you mix humour and tragedy... I think, well, why wouldn't you? That is what life is like. It seems really contrived to me to have a novel that's humourless, really. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know. yeah. Do, do you think, though, that um, by using humour in this way, do you think that that will get Joe Joe's book... Do you think it will... Help the detractors, I suppose. I think. I think the. I mean, I, who knows how these things land? Do they? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is I really enjoyed this book as someone who had lived in London and you know remembers being. You know, I'm not that much older than these characters, so I do remember kind of the experience. I think. I think it's what it will. It will depend on where you are in your life. I yeah. think and how you see these people. I think, you know, lots of of older readers might say, you know, these these are just mollycoddled snowflakes, as you say, <laughs> um, and and not really have sympathy for them, so I think it will depend on who you are, as all books are. And so we've, we've got another part of the interview to come in on. Uh, in, in the meantime, please uh, don't forget to contact us with all your, your uh, messages, your emails. Um, you can email us at... Let's find the, uh, the book, doodah. Bookclub at brumradio.com. And you can tweet us at, at brumradio underscore books. And now here's the next part of our interview with Joe Dunthorne. London is, is very much central to this book and could be described as the, as the real villain, the baddie in it all. Yeah. What, what is the appeal of, of, the, of that city above all other cities um, that make people hate and love it simultaneously? Yeah 
interesting is it is that duality. As a non-Londoner, you know, I grew up in Swansea in South Wales, so I come to London with the hatred of London that everyone who doesn't <laughs> is not from London has, and yet I love it and it draws me in, and I and I and I live there. And I think, oh, what is it? Well, it's it's an arrogant city. I guess lots of mega cities are arrogant. It, I and mean, part of the kind of running joke is this: as a line, anything that happens outside the M25 has no. Uh, I can't remember the exact uh, phrasing, has no impact emotionally or ethically. You know, this idea that the kind of self-aware Londoners who, who, who slightly joke about the fact that the rest of the UK is meaningless to them, but also probably that's slightly true. You know, they, they're terrified of being forced to move out of London and what, what they would lose in their lives. And, you know, but, but the reality is also that there's this lack of community. There's People feel very isolated. People don't communicate with each other. People are in little tribes and they don't cross over. And there's the awareness of that too. And actually, there's a moment where the characters talk about, you know, how terrifying it would be to be outside London where people talk to each other in the street and share jokes and have the sense of community. And almost that's another terrifying thing that, you know, you get, you get used to being able to just disappear into the city. That weird thing where when you live in a city that's lacking something, London is lacking, definitely lacking community spirit, you've had to create an internal justification for why you're there and you decide that actually community spirit is this kind of naff and and um, slightly twee quality that you've risen above because now you have the National Theatre and you have uh, art galleries and whatever. These characters seem to be put into a situation where they've always expected life to be a certain way. You know, right. That's almost like they've been conditioned to believe it and then it's been pulled on, the rug's been pulled from them and they haven't, they're not able to kind of, and they, they feel in this stasis, they can't quite grow up because of that. Mm. I'm quite intrigued as to why they, why they don't rebel more. You know, right. they, they all seem to fall into your characters in the book. Sorry, fall into the the pattern of of consumerism and right. cynicism. Uh, do you think you know? Do you think there should be a revolution of the uh, the educated millennial? That's a really interesting question because they turn out to be quite conventional. They're, they're almost trapped by their conventionality. And I think it would make them happier if they were able to, to make more bold decisions. But in the book, there, there, there is some evidence of them. I mean, there's an open marriage or, or an, an attempt at an open marriage, which I guess symbolizes some, uh, some of the characters trying to do something new and trying to take their lives in a different direction. It doesn't work out very well. But I certainly feel that lots of the characters can fail to take risks and they fail to reinvent the world in a way that maybe they like, might like to think that they, they would, and then most of them end up making fairly conventional choices. And, of course, the backdrop in the kind of contrast to that is the, is the 2011 riots, mm. which the characters find themselves caught up in. Those uh, appear in the novel in a really um, vibrant way. Were you, were, you, were you there yourself? Was these based on first-hand experience? I was living in London at the time, I was actually in Wales when they happened, watching my street on the TV, which was quite startling in itself, and speaking on the phone with my friends who was there. And then I, was, I went back to London sh shortly after and was there during the clean-up process. Yeah, it was, it was very memorable. Also, just after, which, which turned out to be, I want to say fortunate, but I was invited to do my jury service in the aftermath of the, of the riots. So that was a fascinating uh, few weeks, and I got a lot of really amazing insights from that time. As well as the kind of formal punishment um, that the rioters had, there's also the perhaps more vicious um, uh, social media response, right. which is addressed in, in here. 
again, it feels very authentic. How did you research that process of, of kind of the internet rage? I know we see it all around us, but it, it feels... Around, yes. It, well, I mean, that, that's in a, way, in a way one of the easiest things to research because there's so many people who have been through that experience. I, I, I guess the thing I was trying... The, the harder thing to research, research was imagining what it would be like being in the room or on your phone. What's the kind of physical and emotional experience of being the person looking at the internet as they become in real time a figure of national or international hate you know that watching your mentions on your twitter account suddenly going up by the hundreds in seconds and you're thinking this means something what does it mean you're you know you're dreading the moment you click on the on the button to find out you're listening to the Brom Radio Book Show, and that was Joe Dunthorne telling us a little bit more about his novel, The Adulterants. Um, we've had a little bit of uh, interaction, I think, I believe, people responding to uh, tweets. There you go. Yeah, um, we've had one here from Rebecca Chowdhury. Um, there's a post we put out saying, does a protagonist in a novel have to be likeable? I didn't use the word relatable because it's not a word as well. Yes, so. well done. Um, and she <laughs> says, uh, thank you, uh, not necessarily, it can add a richness to the plot if the protagonist is unpleasant as long as they're an interesting kind of dislikable. Word. I, I remember reading an interview with, with Will Self, I think it was, who said, you know, can't understand why people don't want to read uh, unlikable protagonist it's not like you're having them round for dinner yeah but oh, I suppose they are moving into your head for yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway going back to the book um, I mean you, you haven't lived in London did you live in London no, no no never was, was that a deliberate choice there Catherine um that's a bit like saying, is it a deliberate choice? I've never lived in Newcastle. I mean, I guess it, or is it? it is and it isn't. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. I don't know. It's never really been an issue that I should live there. What about you? Is this? Well, yes. Yeah, I did two, three years then. Yeah. Um, and Blake did longer. A lot longer is, yeah. is this a, a is this a London that you recognise? It is. And I, I don't know if that might be the reason why I felt so. Because it is this whole thing of all the characters moving in and they're all having these, you know, ex- groovy lives, going to art galleries and stuff. Um, or they talk about it I remember and you know it's all of that stuff that people kind of all of that stuff's there but you don't necessarily get involved with it mm. um, and um, and this, this this kind of contempt they have for everywhere else at one point the character Ray goes to his um, uh, his parents in Suffolk and they live in this kind of beautiful I think it's an old um, windmill or something and um, and you know he's just you know he's just so cynical about them and he, he says something like you know I had to get back to London leave them to their community spirit it was just <laughs> contemptuous voice uh, and, and that's uh, you know and that's kind of it these characters are just sort of, they, they just they don't interact with people around them and then then the, the London riots happen whenever it was 2011 and they yeah. kind of literally this character of race sort of literally walking around he talks himself as doing heavy looking uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's watching this happening and he's kind of interacting with it and, and it's kind of like you know the reality um, of, of the fact that they're actually living alongside other people whose lives are perhaps not as glamorous as theirs uh, is, is kind of forced on them. Right, well, we've got um, one more part to the uh, interview left. Um, so I'm going to hear more from Joe Dunthorne talking about his book, The Adulterance. Uh, and in this case, we, I also asked him specifically about the cover, which we've talked about, and why the cover was selected. The cuckoo, you may or may not know, is the adulterous bird who steals other birds' nests. 
so thematically that's why that bird but I think what I love about it is that it's just a really striking strange image it doesn't doesn't automatically connect to the book it doesn't say what the book's about and that's kind of why I love it but yeah if you want to take the metaphorical route then it's it, yeah it's it's a cuckoo which is the adulterous bird the, the book as well it covers a lot uh, in in a relatively short span now I have read uh, an interview with yourself that it had originally been much longer yes I mean it does cover a lot was there any themes that you that you originally were going to put in that, that eventually didn't stay in yeah there was well there was there's lots that's come and gone there was a lot more about baby modelling at one point there is a little strand of uh, some characters that have children who are, have babies who are models but it, it's kind of in the background but there was um, for a while quite a few more involved scenes about that there's a lot more backstory about the other characters which they never made it in it, it the more I wrote it, the more I decided that what I really wanted was to very narrowly focus on Ray and his descent. And anything that got in the way of that, anything that slowed or distracted from his speedy and painful decline, I wanted to get rid of. So my kind of idea for the book was this short, sharp plunge. And once I got that as my kind of format, it made it necessary to trim and cut and trim and cut anything that distracted. You talk about Ray's plunge there, um, and he does go through a hell of a lot in the novel. Do you think there's hope in there? There's no easy answers at the end, but do you think there is hope for Ray and, and his ilk? I don't, I, I don't know about his ilk. I guess I, I don't want to necessarily expand him to be a perfect representation of his generation, but I think there is hope for him. I think he, he has learned things. He has changed, and he may still have his irony and his uh, emotional distance but at the same time he I think he's definitely deepened by the end of the book I mean not just having a child but I just feel he's probably a little bit better at being able to be honest and be earnest by the end so I feel hopeful it is well I guess it depends on the reader but I, I do think it's, it's uh, quite sad but my feeling is that things will get better for Ray beyond the end of the story so that was the final part of our interview with Joe Dunthorne talking about his book, The Adulterance. Um, Catherine. Hi. Joe there was, was talking about cutting novel, cutting his novel down. Um, and I just wondered how you felt and your experience of kind of cutting and editing your novel. You know, yeah. are you are you do you like to hang on to everything or are you quite brutal? Um, I think I I do like to hang on to everything, but I um, I'm also quite brutal. In that what I do is I hang on to everything, but I put it in like little drawers and little <laughs> folders, and I think one day that's that's gold dust. That's going to be I wouldn't I wouldn't want that to be consigned to the uh, to the garbage bin there. So uh, I'll put that aside. And so I've got millions and millions of files of like cuts, and that I'm sure one day I, can, I can't bear the thought that no, this is just rubbish. This is completely superfluous. It'll never work in any story. Let it go. You're not going to do that thing that uh, Terry Pratchett did when he died um, he got all his kind of notes and scribblings and stuff and had them run over by a steamroller <laughs> so no one could ever see them well, it's funny enough actually uh, yesterday I decided to kind of go through my computer and um, I've got files relating to novels going back to on this particular computer going back to about 2005 right um, despite the fact that this computer is only three years old so I've obviously just kind of yeah. been yeah. archiving it and I thought to myself right I'm never going to use this. There's no point in trying to shoehorn. No, you never this find stuff any of it. Yeah. And it wouldn't make any sense anyway. No. And you know, 
maybe it was all right, but, you know, I feel like my writing's moved on, but it, it's really hard to it's, get rid of. As a reader, um, you know, I feel slightly nauseous just hearing you talk about this stuff because, you know, we're the people that sit there, wait patiently for, for people like yourselves to produce stuff and this idea that there's loads of it out there that's just going to be thrown away. Fine, it feels this traumatic. Is no, this is no Prince's, you know, recording archive. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not like that. Don't be thinking this guy's I, 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 understand, I understand you have to dig through it all, but it's just, you know, it's re- I can totally understand. You know, if I ever produced anything of any value whatsoever, I would be, mm. I would be wearing it as, as clothing um, I think I find it really hard to <laughs> it's, it's, it, because it's a strange thing because it, I'm not even sure it's, it's necessarily the quality of the work so much as the time yeah. that you've put in yeah. and yeah. you know you're effectively deleting you know several afternoons that you spent working on, on that on that particular piece I think there might be some element of displacement uh, to it as well in that when I start to sit down to write something I will always waste a good two hours thinking hang on I've written about someone like this before <laughs> <laughs> and I'll sort of search through my files for two hours trying to find this elusive killer sentence I once wrote, which I never find. Yeah. And all if I do, it's ridiculously rubbish. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's part of it. Well, um, anyway, um, that was the adulterants we've been talking about for most of the show um, by Joe Dunthorne. Uh, full, full, f- three thumbs up from me. Three. Um, so I'm going to have to borrow a thumb just to say how much I enjoyed that. Great book, really funny, um, sad, interesting, um, and um, yeah, thought provoking. Yeah, published by uh, Hamish Hamilton, uh, and it's out now and available in all good bookshops. Mm-hmm. So next up, um, we're, we're going to be talking... Sorry, next up we're going to be talking about this. Catherine O'Flynn. And it's over to you, Catherine. Right, so this month I have read a book for, um, I guess I guess maybe they're called young adults, young people, you know, young people. <laughs> you don't even know what they're calling. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the language changes all the time. Um, the book is called Orphan, Monster, Spy, and it's a debut novel by Matt Killeen, who I think is uh, is from Birmingham. Indeed he is, yeah. um, And it's set in, uh, it opens in 1939. It is a very hard-hitting uh, novel. Um, it's about a 15-year-old Jewish girl called Sarah and the book starts uh, with a bang quite literally as her and her mother plough through a Nazi checkpoint in Germany they're fleeing from Austria trying to get out of Europe basically Um, and so the book opens with Sarah's mother dying in the crash and Sarah kind of climbing out of the wreckage and that's her kind of um, embarking on this new life as this kind of fugitive Um, she ends up uh, running into um, sort of fortuitously a a British spy an undercover spy who uh, recruits her into um, working with him against the Nazis and so the plan is to uh, go and enrol Sarah who has who I suppose fortunately for the purposes of uh, her uh, espionage has blonde hair very Aryan looks she enrols in this very elite Nazi girl school she also looks younger than she is and the idea is to befriend one of the girls there whose father is developing a nuclear uh, weapon. And so this is the uh, this is the basic plot premise. Um, and I'd say it's... I mean, Sarah is a great character. She's incredibly 
kick-ass kind of superhero. I mean, I suppose if you were at one point, I thought, is there anything she can't do? You know, she's, <laughs> she's like, you know, ridiculously gymnastic. In the years when um, you know, uh, of Jewish persecution, she basically developed a kind of survival parkour where she'd like break out of her mother's um, flat and jump over the rooftops and steal food and stuff to survive. So she's this amazing gymnast. Her mother was an alcoholic um, actress and so Sarah's amazing at impersonations and accents and language and music. She's a phenomenal pianist as well. But I kind of love all that because it's, you know, it's the whole idea, obviously, battling this whole idea of, you know, the German master race. And she's this, you know, little Jewish girl who is, like, ridiculously um, sort of super-powered and is very much comic book hero, kind of. Uh, and she's there isn't an ounce of sentimentality in this book, which I think is pretty um, unusual. You know, her mother is depicted, you know, her her decline into alcoholism is shown, you know, she kind of wets the bed, you know, she's not this perfect mother oh, right, who's, okay. you know, remembered as a saintly person. She's remembered for all her flaws. Um, and so I think the depiction of Sarah is really great and really probably, I would imagine, pretty... Um, refreshing and empowering for like you know young young girls in particular to read um the i'd say the depiction of the nazis is kind of you know as, as you might imagine you know fairly unnuanced they tend to all be a bit depraved and um not very nice it's not it's not massively controversial no not massively <laughs> up until recently it wasn't yeah. a controversial <laughs> opinion anyway they're not they're not yeah they're not they're not a nuanced bunch and you know i guess some of the stuff at the boarding school you know the mean girls really are terribly mean you know and yeah, mean, mean Nazi girls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's worse it's than any. Right there. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of a, a, there's an evil girl, a nasty mean girl who's got lots of hench uh, hench women, and uh, the leader of whom is very Rosa Kleb like this big sort of bullyish character. Um, but so there's like it, it is it does have that kind of comic book element of baddies and goodies, but it's very exciting, very kick ass, and I think in terms of you know, people reading books that are socially conscious and opening your eyes to um, the sort of realities of the world. I mean, it's an important time now with mm. the whole, you know, at the moment it's kind of quite a relevant thing to be mm. talking about the rise of... Uh, and, and that sort of the way that it, 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 there's a lot of flashbacks to the gradual descent into national socialism. So, yeah, I think it's a timely novel, very hard-hitting, um, not not for the faint-hearted. There's a lot of blood and violence in there, but, but yeah, great, I'd say. And it, it, despite all the, the, the kind of... And I've heard it's, it's quite graphic in yeah. its moments. Would you... Would you give that to a, a, a teenager? Who's it recommended to? Sort of the. Um, I'm not sure. I'd say probably. I know this is going to be a genre that there isn't 15 year olds. It's yeah. <laughs> a very specific genre I've just invented there. Um, yeah, but yeah. The, the kind of the older end. Of yeah, the I would say of older spectrum. range of teens. I think yeah. Interesting. Uh, we have a, 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 an interview with uh, with the writer in a moment, and uh, he he very much says it's not a genre; it's a category. Yeah, which right. I think is also quite an important and possible distinction to make. Of course, yeah. 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 On that, but um, yeah. Um, and how did you find the ending? Because I've, I've heard some people were slightly disappointed by the ending as well. Uh, I think the ending is well. It's I think if you read this book, kind of within your mind, a slightly kind of James Bond type. Yeah. Um, like for like big bangs, you know, explosive action, and but with a girl hero, then the ending fits in with that and. 
it opens it out for the chance of a return as well. Right. I think this could be the first of a series because it very clearly suggests that Sarah might go on to future missions. Right, OK. Um, we do have um, a, a, an excerpt from um, well, a conversation that Matt Killeen, the author, uh, gave us about a little bit about why he wrote this novel. And also we asked him to, to give us some other recommendations for other books in this kind of area of young adults in a sort of social conscience um, thinking about wider issues and I think as you say it's incredibly timely so let's listen to uh, Matt Killeen's recommendations Hi, I'm Matt Killeen, I'm the author of Orphan Monster Spy which is a YA novel set at the outbreak of the Second World War When I started writing Orphan Monster Spy my concerns were about uh, creeping fascism and institutional racism around the world, I was preoccupied with how genocide had haunted the recent past in Rwanda, Darfur and Yugoslavia while everybody still assumed that this time it would never happen again when in fact it just kept happening over and over again. And as my nephews and eldest son grew up, I was surprised to learn how little they understood about the Second World War. Um, they'd actually been taught the subject in school, but without those sort of exciting tales of the Dauntless, which I'd grown up with um, in the 1970s, they just hadn't engaged with it. But the, the 19th century historian Lord Macaulay said that history has to be burned into the imagination before it can be received by the reason. And uh, this was one of the reasons to write this book. Sort of through Sarah's f- uh, fictional adventures, I wanted to illuminate this time and make it real for the reader. I want them to understand that history and to interrogate it and then question the events of today as a result. I think YA literature is very important. I mean, reading is exceptionally good for people's empathy, and I think young people have maybe a little more empathy than older people tend to. I think there's there's even the merest possibility that their brains are open to new ideas and to be able to judge things. So I think it's one of the most important categories, not a genre, categories in um, literature. Coinciding with the 100th anniversary of the uh, women, some women, getting the vote, uh, there's Sally Nichols' uh, Things a Bright Girl Can Do, which is um, a a wonderful um, story of the suffragettes, as told from three different points of view, or rather featuring three characters. It's stunning. My only criticism, it's still only available in hardback, and I don't like hardbacks. There's Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give, which um, obviously, uh, in addition to being an excellent book, beautifully written, um, is is incredibly important. It features, discusses the Black Lives Matter movement and is almost certainly still number one in the New York Times bestseller list when you're listening to this. And I think it's absolutely deserving of that. On a more sort of personal level, there's The Unpredictability of Being Human by Lenny Igmanson, which is just a beautiful little story um, about bullying, um, if stories about bullying can be pretty. There's uh, books like Hollyborn's Am I Normal Yet? Which I think The Guardian said it best when they said, if you've ever felt out of the ordinary, this is for you i.e. everyone. That sums it up really well. I mean, it's um, on the surface, it's very much about mental health and OCD, but also feminism and friendship, and um, it's, it's, it's great. And then, of course, we have um, Patrice Lawrence with Orange Boy and uh, her, her follow-up, uh, Indigo Donut, wonderful books, um, great voices. Um, I think she's a really wonderful writer. And I know that SF Saeed says very good things about Alex Wheatle's Cronkton Nights, and I don't think that SF Saeed has... Uh, is is wrong about many things. So again, I'd probably recommend that, just surely on that. I know that Sue Turton has written a non-fiction book called This Book Will Help You Change the World and um, that encourages you to... protest injustice and campaign for change and um, I think anything like that is is absolutely essential in today's world and talking of today's world if you have not yet read The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood uh, I 
would definitely recommend it. Um, not always an easy read from an emotional perspective, but it seemed quite speculative sci-fi back in the early 80s when it was written. And uh, now I think it looks entirely prescient and I think it's an essential read. So that was some. Uh, that was uh, Matt Killeen there talking about some uh, social conscious uh, novels that he's been reading. Have you, have you got a social conscious novel that you would uh, recommend? Uh, any of us? Oh, I'm thinking. I think when I was a kid, when you were saying earlier about school, the sort of books being terribly out of date. Um, and that's possibly true. But I remember in my library discovering um, books by a writer called Joan Lingard, who wrote a whole series of books about Northern Ireland that oh, right, across okay. the barricades, and they were amazing. I love those books. Funny, I'd forgot, completely forgotten about them until about a year ago and remembered how um, exciting and also, you know, sort of insightful they were. So I think it's great if you kind of come across a book like that at a sort of, you know, a tender age. It really opens your eyes to uh, things. Well, it's funny, for, for my kids, my, my kids actually hate all that stuff. <laughs> and... Um, and it's one of the reasons why I'm finding it quite difficult to kind of keep my kid, my, especially my oldest one, interested in reading is because everything seems to be about an issue. And the, yeah. the books that she likes, the books that are funny. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it just seems that a lot of children's publishing is about, well... It's didactic, yeah. Yes, it has, yeah. You know, there's got to be a real issue, there's got to be someone suffering from something. Right, And yeah. she's just not into that. Yeah. Well, it sounds Perfect. like Author Monster Spy has all the kind of, you know... Kung Fu and excitement and everything to kind of that's that's the way to sort of slip the medicine in really I suppose mm. isn't it well that's, yeah. no, that's a terrible way to talk about it because yeah. that's exactly how we shouldn't be doing it so pretend I didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> terrible metaphor and so we're nearly at the end of the show um, have we got any more uh, tweets or um we have well, had somebody um, talking about the kind of um, the, the London centric nature of publishing as oh, being right, perhaps okay. another reason why mm-hmm. you know all these London novels exist and we kind of get um, Birmingham perhaps or other places that aren't, you know, there's, there's, there's other places apart from London Birmingham I am told uh, out of it because because they're all based there and they all you know that's I, they I, all I think it's absolutely true and you know I, I wanted to I wanted when I, I remember when I first started out in writing I wanted to write not being a, you know a novel set anywhere apart from London but because of the nature of the, of the plot it had to be in London yeah. but as soon as I could kind of get out I think I waited until my third book <laughs> I managed to kind of get out of London and get to Birmingham and, and it was just a really nice feeling to be to be writing about places that you actually know yeah. and, and yeah. just getting a real thrill out of mentioning King's Heath <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember being at an event with a um, uh, a, a, a prize-winning Birmingham-based novelist, and um, uh, talking about her new book, and um, and someone in the audience who was clearly from you know from down south in the publishing world had said, "Why did you set your book in Birmingham?" As if, yeah. as if it yeah. was a strange thing, you know, like, yeah. you know yeah. as if there was yeah. a point to it. Wasn't there? As if, as if you, there has to be a why. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but I think in the case of something like the Adulterants, I think you know London is different. There is a case for that. It is, it is oh, abs- absolutely because of all those things and I think the reason that the adulterers work so well is is that these characters are all people that have come to London um, and it is the story of a kind of you know, these, these immigrants yeah. from other places who have come there f- for a certain dream, yeah. Uh, and I, I can sort of see that. But uh, but again, any big city, you know, I'm sure there's lots of lots of big cities around the world. I myself have come to Birmingham seeking my fortune. It's all gone <laughs> terribly wrong, but, uh, but there you go. And so finally, uh, with uh, we, we pretty much come to the end of the show. But um, why is everybody reading? 
Andrew, what are you, what are you reading? <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, I just finished rereading Ian M. Banks's first culture novel, Consider Phlebas, uh, after the news that Amazon are going to be turning it into a TV show. All right. Uh, which could be really interesting, or not. Or not. Yeah. Or not. Um, they, they, they've, they spent something like a billion dollars on Lord of the Rings as well, I think. Yeah, because that needs to be remade. Yeah, um, but yeah um, so I've actually just finished the first one, but rather than moving on to the next one, I decided to take a bit of a left turn, still in the SF area, and I'm reading Ursula Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Well, that's one of hmm. the issues. Obviously, she died very recently. Yeah, she yeah. did, yeah. Um, what about yourself, Mike? What are you reading? Uh, I'm reading uh, Eleanor and Park by uh, Rainbow Rowell, and I'm enjoying it very much. It's, it's sort of a, a YA book, but I just thought I'd... I'd give myself a break from um, hating on um, <laughs> all those kind of disappointing, domestic, uh, yeah. disappointing domestic noir. I am still carrying that on, Good. Well just in Mike. case you thought I had given up, but no. Absolutely selfless uh, I've, in your uh, pursuit of... I've read a couple this month, and uh, I continue, but uh, I'll, I'll save my ranting for another time. How about right. you, Catherine? I am, um, again... Um, like I'm going to do a bit of rereading. I think I'm going back to some Laurie Moore. That um, I think it was because I was reading something the other day. I think it might have been GQ magazine had oh. issued um, a top ten of funny writers, and I think there was one woman in there. And uh, Jonathan Coe on Twitter was kind of railing against this a little bit and asking people to suggest, you know, uh, many writers that might have been in there who weren't who weren't men. And it made me remember how much I enjoyed Laurie Moore's works. And it's years yeah. since I've read her, so I think I'm going to go back and read some of her stuff. How about you? Like? Um, well, I'm just about to start uh, Kid the Wall's Trick to Time, which, as we know, is the, uh, being launched at the end of March. But um, as a precursor to that, I am reading London Rules by Mick Heron, uh, which is the fifth in a series of novels he's written about. Um, and they're kind of very satirical novels about... Uh, inept, not inept, hapless, unfortunate spies um, who are um, the kind of uh, rejected runts of the uh, MI5 sta- uh, stable um, and um, going around sort of uh, London involving. And it's extremely, extremely funny as well. So um, before I sort of um, delve into... Um, Sort of heartbreak. Uh, I'm clearing my uh, my valves with a little bit of. It's a corner phrase. Um, so we've come to the end of the show. A huge thank you to uh, Joe Dunthorne, uh, and talking, who's been talking about his book, The Adulterant. Uh, a huge thank you to uh, Andrew, who's been uh, our man on the. Uh, well, I was going to call them wheels of steel, yeah. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just came to me. But um, uh, I'm out on the computer, uh, and he's uh, been doing it on our social media. Um, thanks, of course, always to uh, Catherine um, for, for her uh, debut stuff. Um, so always thanks to, to Stuart, even though he's not there, just because he's, he's... Yeah, he's part of the team. Yeah, you know, he's part of the team. We hope you're listening wherever you are, Stuart. And, uh, and, and as always, a huge thank you uh, to Blake, without whom um, you would all be listening to silence. Um, I've been Mike course, Gale. we mustn't forget Matt Killeen as well. Oh, yes, oh, thank you for once again to Matt thank Killeen. You. Yeah. So uh, I've been Mike Gale. And thank you. <laughs> for- <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. 
You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.